Well, it's good to be in church on Sunday night. Oh, that was much better than Sunday morning. <laughs> Sounds like you're glad to be in church on Sunday night, and we're glad to be here. Trust you're, you've already made plans to be here on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night, 7 o'clock each night. As a matter of fact, come at 6.55. Then you'll be ready. Amen. You come and you'll be glad that you did. Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and open it to the book of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. When you find that, if you're able to stand easily, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God tonight? Philippians chapter number 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others." I want to preach to you on this subject tonight, the importance of unity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here tonight. Lord, thank you that we can rejoice together, fellowship together, open your word together, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. God, that's why we came tonight. That's what we're looking for. That's what we ask for. And Lord, we just pray that you would have free course in this place, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here on Sunday night. Uh, thank you, Brother Edwards, for coming here before you head on back to North Carolina. And uh, it's just a, a pleasure to have you amongst us tonight. Uh, I was thinking uh, this morning of the first time I came here a long, long time ago, and that we met before that down in El Paso with Brother Demarest and uh, sleeping on hard floors and uh, riding in, in rough buses on rough roads. And uh, that was an awful lot of fun, wasn't it? That was, I would not trade anything in the world for those trips with Brother Demarest. And it'll be good to see him again one day in heaven and hear his voice again. That'll be an exciting day, amen? Uh, here in Philippians chapter 2, uh, as the Apostle Paul is the human author writing the words that God gives him to put on the paper, Chapter number one is an exciting chapter. It's a wonderful chapter, and it's full of great truth and familiar passages. We see in verse 21 of chapter one, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, chapter one is, is a great chapter. And then you get to chapter two, and it's almost as if the, the idea, the focus changes just a little bit. And now he's saying, if there be therefore any consolation, if, if there be any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Think of it this way. God is saying through the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, here's what will make me happy. Fulfill ye my joy. If, if you can do these things... I will be pleased, I will be happy. Now, if you had friends like at the church at Philippi, they're under the auspices of the Roman Empire. Uh, Nero is the emperor. He's wicked, he's crazy, he's persecuting Christians, he's destroying his own empire and blaming it all on Christians. 
So they're, they're under, the, uh, under the banner of a, a persecuted people and a wicked government. Now, if you had friends who were in a place like that, where there was potential that they could be hunted down and hauled off to prison, and you were going to say, here's what would make me happy. Would you not start off by saying that you would be safe, that you would be healthy, that you would be protected? That's how we would start, would we not? If we were talking about what would please us regarding our friends in a difficult situation in a difficult place. But one of the things you learn in the little four chapter book of Philippians is that God's priorities are not the same as our priorities. And the things that we would put at the top of the list, he doesn't even put on the list. And the things that we would never think to mention are the things that he puts a high premium on. And so when we get here to chapter number one, he says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. God says, now here's, here's what will make me happy, church at Philippi, if you're like-minded. Now, let me just say to you that God didn't just give these words to the Apostle Paul to write down and send to the church at Philippi. He saw fit to preserve them because he wasn't just talking to the church at Philippi. I promise you the things that he said to the church at Philippi also apply to the church at Woodbridge. They do. And they're just as important. And I believe God would say the same thing to us tonight. You see, unity is an important thing in the work of God. Now, the church at Philippi, quite honestly, uh, is doing well. They don't have a lot of terrible problems and they don't have a lot of strife and they don't have a lot of issues going on. But that church is just like this church in that it's made up of people. And people can be a pain in the neck. Amen? Don't look at, don't look at anybody. Don't elbow any. Don't do that because you're probably sitting next to your family. Just look straight ahead. Amen? People can be a pain in the neck. And anytime you have to interact with people, there's the potential for conflict. And so he says, here's, here's how you can fulfill my joy, that ye be like-minded. Now, I know they were in a different place, and they were in a different culture, and they were in a different time, but they were people just like us tonight. You see, when we walked in here tonight... We all, you know, we're dressed for church tonight because this is Sunday night and, and we combed our hair and we washed our face and we cleaned up and, and we took off the grubby clothes from mowing the lawn and, and all that kind of stuff. And here we are and we're looking sharp. However, we all came from very different backgrounds, very different places. We have different ideas. We think differently about some things. We perceive some things vastly different than the person sitting a row away from us. And because of that, with all those backgrounds and all of those ideas and all of that thinking and all of our life experience, we have to learn how to get along together. We have to do that on purpose. That doesn't happen all by itself. We have to do that on purpose. I believe if you could peek into the windows at the church at Philippi, you would, you would find some people that you know. You recognize them. As a matter of fact, turn back to Acts chapter 16, if you would. Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we find the Apostle Paul in verse number 12 coming to Philippi. Look, if you would, there at verse 12, Acts chapter 16. 
and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. If you were going to peek in the windows at the church at Philippi, you'd see a, a nicely dressed family, Lydia and her family, sitting there on the pew. You see, when she meets the Apostle Paul and these, these men that are with him, she's down by the riverside praying. Now, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting narrative because even though she and others are down there praying, she is not saved yet. She loves God, but she does not know Jesus Christ yet. Don't always assume that people, just because they're not saved yet, hate God. Listen, the reason people are so susceptible to false religion and religious practices is because they have this innate desire to know God. And many of them, listen, so there are folks in cults and, and in false religions who really do have a love for God. They've just been deceived along the way and they don't know how to have a relationship with him. They wouldn't go through all the things they do if they didn't have some kind of love for God. But listen closely, uh, just a love toward God is not enough. And so Paul comes by and he says, hey, I see that you love God and you're praying. Let me tell you something about God that you didn't know yet. Let me tell you how he sent his son and he died to pay the penalty for your sin and you can have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with that God that you desire to know if you will trust his son Jesus Christ and she listens to what he says, she gets saved and she gets baptized. It's exciting. And so if you peeked in the window at the church at Philippi, you'd see this nicely dressed family because Lydia is an entrepreneur. She's a businesswoman. She is a seller of purple. Now, purple in those days was not just a color. Purple was a status symbol. Because of the difficulty of making the dyes and, and getting that color, you had to be wealthy to have purple. So it was reserved for kings and royalty and people with lots of money. Lydia's customers were not people who shopped on the clearance rack in the back corner of the Walmart. Those were not Lydia's customers. Lydia's customers had money because the things that she was selling were expensive. And so there she'd be sitting in that row with her family and they're nicely dressed in their upper middle class and, and they're sharp looking and they got these big old grins on their face because now they've met the Savior. But she's not going to be the only one in the church. Look, if you would, down here at verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. 
So there's Lydia and her family all dressed very nicely sitting there in that row. And then you look over here on this side and there's a girl sitting over here and she's not dressed quite as nicely as Lydia and her family. As a matter of fact, she looks a little rough. She doesn't have the most current hairdo and there's a little bit of dirt under her fingernails and, and the dress she's wearing, she got it at Goodwill yesterday. And, and she's just thrilled it. And she's sitting there on the second row. She's got the great big grin on her face, just like Lydia and her family. There she is. This girl who had all these issues and she was, she was on the street and she was abused by people and, and they took advantage of her. Now she knows Christ. She's sitting there in the church at Philippi. But you know what happens. Paul and Silas get hauled off to jail for all of this. And look, if you would, down here in your Bible, verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Join the church and get baptized and live a good life. No, they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Listen, if that was good enough then, that's good enough now. Amen. And so uh, here he is, the jailer. He gets gloriously saved that night. We won't read the rest of it for the sake of time, but he takes them home. His whole family gets saved. And, and we know that they had good Baptist intentions because they ate. Amen. There's a lot of eating in this chapter. <laughs> but by the way, at the end of chapter 16, Lydia has them back over the house for more food before they go. So I suspect these are Baptist folks. So you've got Lydia and her family over there. You've got this rough looking girl over here with this big smile on her face. And then, and then back there a couple rows, you've got this, this middle class family. It's the jailer and his family. And these three people, they have nothing in common. Nothing. You see, that jailer, he's a, he's a government employee. Lydia, she doesn't have much use for government employees. And neither one of them have any use for this girl from off the street. And she doesn't like Lydia because Lydia is one of those snobby rich people. And that jailer, she's known the jailer for a long time because she's been in at his jail a lot. And he doesn't care for her and she doesn't care for him. It's just that they all got saved. And now here they are sitting in the same room. And God says, I want you to work together. It's going to take a little work. It's going to take a little effort. But it'll make me happy. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. And again, if that was true for the church at Philippi, that's true for us as well. That's what God wants us to be able to do. So first of all, we see the goal of unity. Look again at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. So now you need to be like-minded, and the way you do that is you have the same love. You love the same thing the same way. If you want to know what love he's talking about, you can go back to chapter number 1, and he lays it out. Look at chapter 1, verse number 9. And this I pray, that your love 
may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He's not talking about what the world talks about when they talk about love. Quite often when the world talks about love, they talk about some kind of ooey gooey feel good thing that has no comprehension of anything other than this good feeling. When God talks about love, he talks about something far deeper than that. You see, God's kind of love is that he sees everything exactly the way it really is, and he still loves us, but he loves us enough to not leave us in the filth we're in. God's love is different. God's love is based on knowledge and judgment. He said, I I want you to have the same love, the same kind of love talked about in chapter 1, and you've got to have that or you won't be able to work together. You've got to have godly, biblical love. But not only that, he says, having the same love, being of one accord. So if you have the same love, now you have to be of one accord. In other words, you have to have the same direction and purpose in your service. You've got to be going the same way if you're going to go together. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you have all these different things. You have the pastors and the evangelists and the prophets and the apostles, but all working toward the same goal. You have to be of one accord. You might want to write this down. You don't get to have your own personal agenda in the service of God. Some folks have trouble with that because they like to have their own personal agenda. If, if you find that you're not on board with the church in the direction that it's going and you find that that's the, the pattern of your life, I mean, every time something comes up, you're opposed to it. When, when the preacher says, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this missions project, you say, I don't think that's a good idea. And when he says, we're going to do this remodeling project, well, it's not a good idea. And we're going to do this or that, not a good idea. We're going to have vacation Bible school, not a good idea. We're going to send kids to camp, not a good idea. If you find that you're always the one in opposition to what the church is doing, now hang on, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm, I'm going to give you a deep truth. Here it comes. The problem might be you. Have you ever thought of that? It might be the guy you look at in the mirror. If you're the sore thumb sticking out all the time, it might just be you. And you might need to go to God and say, Lord, uh, help me see what's going on in here so I can get on board with what's going on in the ministry and be part of your work. The same direction and purpose. He said, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now that's a tall order, one mind, because that means we're thinking alike. Now, because of our backgrounds and our life experience, quite often we don't think alike. We, we come from a, different, from a different base of thought. And so if we're going to work together for the cause of Christ, we have to think the same. So in order to do that, what we have to do is find a basis for truth that we can agree on and make that the foundation and then always go back there. If there's any question, any any conflict, you go back there and see what that says and then say whether I like it or not, here's truth and we're going to stand there. That's how you have one mind. 
So you see, it's not a matter of opinion or emotion or feeling. It's a matter of what does God say is true and what does God say is not true. The word of God has to be the foundation. I'm going to give you a great eternal truth tonight if you're ready. You can write it down. You can make bumper stickers out of it if you'd like. And if you don't have a life, you can tweet it. Are you ready? God is right and you're wrong. Do you get that? God's right, you're wrong. As a matter of fact, just so it will cement itself in your mind, let's say it together. But we won't say God is right and you're wrong. We'll say God is right and I'm wrong. Okay, we'll personalize it. You ready to say it together? Here we go. God is right and I'm wrong. Didn't that feel good? No, let's try it again then. God is right and I'm wrong. Listen, if you will settle that great eternal truth, it will transform your life. It really will. Because then no matter what you come up against, you'll go here and say, what does God say about it? Whatever he says, that's where I'm going to stand. That's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to stay. Doesn't matter if anybody else does or not. I'm going to stay right there. And God is always right. You can't have one mind if you have multiple authorities. You've got to have one authority. And the only one I know of that never changes is that book right there. How is it that we, that we determine how we're going to serve God and the proper way to do this and that? We go to the Word of God and see what's right. We go to the authority. I had a woman one, one night in a church. Uh, I was preaching a missions conference. And, and every night a missionary would present their field and, and then there'd be a little break and then I would preach. And on this, on this night, I preached first. And then we were going to have a little break and the ladies were going to go downstairs and a lady missionary was going to talk about her experiences on the field to the ladies. And then there was another man upstairs that was going to present his Bible publishing ministry. And so I got done preaching and I sat down on the front row and the ladies got up and they're filing out to go downstairs. And a lady I didn't know came up and sat down next to me. That was a little disconcerting. Because my wife was already gone and this lady sat down next to me and she said, "Uh, Brother Rogers, did I understand you to say that people who have not heard the gospel will die and go to hell? I said, yes, ma'am, I did say that. That's what I said tonight. She said, well, the God I know wouldn't send somebody to hell just because they hadn't heard the gospel. I said, ma'am, do you believe the Bible? She said, well, of course I believe the Bible. (laughs) Now we have a problem. Uh, And so remember now, the missionary is getting ready to do his thing. The ladies are all gone. Here we are on the front row. And I said, ma'am, probably the best way to to fix this in in your mind is to go home and read Romans chapter 1. If you go home and read Romans chapter 1, I believe it will answer your question. And she said, well, I just don't think God would do that. I said, ma'am. Uh, if, if you just go home and read Romans chapter 1, it, it'll solve the problem. And then she started to cry. And she's getting loud. And we're on the front row. And everybody's looking at us. And she said, I just don't. I said, ma'am, please go home. <laughs> and, and while you're there, read Romans chapter 1. <laughs> and, and she got and headed out the back. And the lady missionary saw what was happening. And she was watching it all. And she caught her in the back took her outside and, and had a little chance to talk to her. Listen, that, that lady that night, she was not a wicked, evil lady. 
She was not. You know what her problem was? She just didn't feel like that was fair. And she'd not looked in the Bible to see what God said about it. I mean, it's a horrible thing that people who don't hear of Jesus Christ will die and go to hell. But it's the truth. That's why we send missionaries all around the world to places that have never heard the gospel because it is their only hope. You see, uh, if we don't have the authority of the word of God, we can go off in a million wrong directions and get a whole bunch of things messed up. So we've got to have one mind and one authority and go back to the word of God over and over again if we're going to work together for the cause of Christ. So we see the goal of unity, but then we see the hindrances to unity. Look, if you would, at verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife, or vainglory. Strife, vainglory. You, you want unity to go right out the window. Then you let strife and vainglory come in. Strife is simply fighting and fussing and demanding your own way. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Strife is just, is just causing that to, to foment and get worse and worse. And then he says vainglory. Really that comes down to pride. I want my own way. It's got to be done my way. Listen, we're all prone to that. And as soon as we feel that start coming up, we need to go to God and say, Lord, help me push that down. Help me, help me not be under the control of that thing. Don't, don't let me cause strife and don't let me bring vain glory and pride into this thing. Because as soon as that happens, then our opportunity to work together goes out the window. And we splinter and we go off different directions. And, and God would have us work together and be like-minded. So those are the hindrances to unity. But then, let me show you the means of unity. Here's how you accomplish it. Here's how you make it happen. And it's right here in the Word of God. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The means of unity, first of all, esteeming others better than yourself. I'm going to give you another great eternal truth. And this one, this one is like sticking the knife in and twisting it. Are you ready? It's not all about you. As soon as you, you take on our modern society's philosophy of everything is about me, that doesn't work in Christianity. That doesn't work in your walk with God. It certainly doesn't work in your service with God. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about him. And we need to get that straight. We need to esteem others better than ourselves. Now we read that and we look at it and we go over it pretty quickly. But let's not forget that there is a, a church in Philippi that as these words are being written down for the very first time, they're going to be sent to a very specific congregation full of very specific people. The Apostle Paul's the human author, writing down what God wants him to write down. But Paul has been to Philippi, and he didn't just pass through one time. He spent some time there. He's personally involved in the conversion of a bunch of people in Philippi, and there's a close relationship there, especially according to chapter 1. So when this letter shows up at the church at Philippi and somebody stands up to read it and they get through chapter one and they start chapter two, 
and they begin to read and they say, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You know what they're doing? They're going, strife. I know who he's talking about. Don't, don't look, but he's over there. Strife. Vainglory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That guy. He's the one. Because that's what you'd be thinking. You would. Listen, if your pastor left a, left a letter to be read to you next Sunday morning, and it said, now we're on vacation, and, and uh, make sure now that there's no strife going on, and nobody gossips, and nobody causes trouble, you'd be thinking, who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? I know, I know who it is. Got to be them, got to be them. I'm sure they were doing the same thing because it's written to them. They know it's to them. So they suspect he's talking about somebody. And he says, in lowliness of mind, here's how you fix it. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Now we read it, it's just generic. But imagine yourself in the church at Philippi. Lydia is hearing these words. The jailer is hearing these words. The woman who's lived all of her life on the street, she's hearing these words. And what they're hearing is this. Lydia, you see that girl sitting over there? It's got dirt under her fingernails. And the one that you've, you've refused to put any money in her little cup when you go by. Don't forget, Lydia, she's more important than you are. Girl from off the street, you see that jailer back there? That guy that you've been in and out of his jail and you don't like him and you're pretty sure he doesn't like you? Don't forget, he's more important than you are. Jailer, you see Lydia sitting over there? Yeah, yeah, that that lady over there, that one that you don't care for, that's of a different political persuasion than you are. Don't forget she's more important than you are. Lydia, you see that jailer? That guy over there? Uh Uh-huh, mm-hmm, he's more important than you are. And and it goes all the way around. And as long as they think of the other guy as more important than them, they won't take advantage of them. And they'll be thoughtful of them. And they'll work together. And the same thing is true for us. Let each esteem other better than themselves. And so you say, be careful now, brother. Don't forget, she's more important than you. And don't you forget, he's more important than you. And don't forget, she's more important than you. And he, well, oh, way back, oh, he's more important than you. And, and see these, these little people right here? Oh, here's some little people. How old, how old are you right here on the end, young lady? Nine. Wow. Don't ever forget how important she is. I'm serious. She's your church in another 10 years. Don't, don't think she's not important. You better believe she's important. And all the little people who run around here on Sunday morning and, and they're back in the classes and they come in, you know, and they get dirt on the floor and they touch the walls. And those are very important because they're going to be your church one day. They really are. Don't, don't, don't start thinking they don't matter. Don't start thinking anybody doesn't matter. They all matter. They all matter. God loves them all and Jesus died for all of them. And you may have a different background and a different set of, of experiences and 